know, when we play music here on Monster Kid Radio, when we get permission to play a song on the show, I always ask the bands to keep me posted about any upcoming albums, any new releases. And the band RPS Surfers, a surf band out of Israel, they have an upcoming album coming soon, and they've got a single that you can watch a video for right now on YouTube. The video is called The Belgian Wave. And of course, we're using that to open up this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer, producer, and surf music aficionado, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show and my friends. I've been looking forward to running this episode for so long. We're going to get some Star Trek up in here in Monster Kid Radio. This year marks the 50th anniversary of one of the most important science fiction franchises of all time. And because it's Monster Kid Radio and we talk about monsters, we're going to talk about the monsters of Star Trek, and I'm not doing it by myself. This is a top three episode with fellow podcaster Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast. Now, we've been playing the promo for the Supermates podcast off and on over the years, and I'm sure we'll be playing it again here on the show in the future as well. But for now, you actually get Chris himself joining me to talk about Star Trek. And you know what? Enough of the jibber-jabber. Let's get on to our top three monsters from classic Star Trek right after this. Hey, comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. Hi, this is Jamie Alexander, the Asgardian warrior Sif from Thor. I went to Marvel. They said, hey, sit down. We want to talk to you about this part. So what happened was I had a knife in my purse. I set the purse on the chair and it fell off and the knife fell out. And then they were like, oh, God, you really are Lady Sif. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one, the only, William Shatner. There's all these rumors out there that you're going to be in the next Star Trek film. Well, I'd like to be in it. You know, I don't want to be a gratuitous character. Like scrubbing me, the uh, windows on the things. Enterprise or something? There's a guy on the Chris wing. Chris Pine! There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine says there's a guy on the wing. Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is John Reese davis Hi, everyone. This is Summer Glau. Hi, this is Trisha Helfer, number six from Battlestar Galactica. Hey, this is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior. <laughs> from unexplored secret stratus. This giant, harder-than-steel piston, disgorges strange creatures, inundating our world, twisting the emotions of women, distorting our men. 
a piece we got off the mare. Reflex action like a snake. Cut a snake in half and the two pieces go off in different directions. These things take over a man's mind? He becomes a... a robot? A machine taking orders? Join the hunt for the hiding place of terror. Find the breeding place of these globs of destruction. In feeding the mouth parts, rupture the cells, convey the food to the stomach by a, a pumping action. It's an adventure that'll burst your blood vessels with suspense. See the brain eaters. What are dreams? What do they mean? When you dream, you wander into another world where everything is strange and terrifying. When you dream, you become a Nightwalker. The Nightwalker. And now, a warning from William Castle, producer of The Nightwalker. Do you know that a dream can kill you? Gruesome thought, isn't it? Taylor, Barbara Stanwyck, together again in The Night Walker. Listeners, I've played the promo for this gentleman's podcast on Monster Kid Radio in the past, uh, especially around October, because he's always doing monster stuff during the month of Halloween. And now I've got him on the show. We're going to talk some Star Trek. Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Derek. Thanks for having me. And Chris, it's been a while since we've been talking about doing this, but I've been listening to your show for quite some time. For listeners who haven't been paying attention to the promo or don't listen to your show, what is Supermates? Supermates is uh, my wife, Cindy, and I basically just recording conversations we have in our house anyway. There's a little more research, but but not a whole lot, honestly, because we have these kind of talks all the time. She enjoys the, the geeky things that I do, and we talk about comics uh, we talk about Star Trek, we talk about movies, and in the months of September and October, because one month just isn't enough, we t- we talk about uh, classic horror movies and comic books that are related to them. That's our House of Frankenstein series, which will be starting in September, so it's coming up pretty quick. Uh, and in fact, I've got to nail down my list of, of movies uh, and, and run it by Cindy and make sure she's okay with it. We've, we've talked about it some, but... Uh, We've, we've got to firm that up, but yeah, Supermates is basically, it's a, it's a two, every two weeks show, a bi-weekly show where we talk about all sorts of geeky stuff we enjoy and it's on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And that's relatively new. You guys just recently joined that network, right? That's my pal Rob Kelly and Shag Matthews. They started the Fire and Water Podcast that was originally an Aquaman and Firestorm podcast and it just kind of grew into uh, multiple shows by them and they invited some friends over and, and actually Rob got me into podcasting. Uh, and he invited me on his power records podcast, which, which I'm also the co-host of. That's an occasional podcast where we talk about the power records of the seventies that featured, uh, 
superheroes, Planet of the Apes, Star Trek, Six Million Dollar Man, all sorts of properties that uh, I think listeners of Monster Kid Radio probably already love to begin with. And uh, Rob plays the audio. We talk about the the stories and generally have fun with it. So it's it's a fun show, too. I'm excited to hear that you're doing Franklin Stein again. That's great news, man. I've always, always have enjoyed your guys' uh, Halloween episodes. So that's that's fun. And it's, listeners, Chris said he has, tries to tie in a comic. It's more than just that. For example, uh, let's see, I'm looking at uh, the Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman episode on your guys' website from September, where not only did you talk about Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, but you found a way to tie in a wolfman or a werewolf-type comic into the conversation. So you covered the Moon of the Wolf story from the Batman comics. It's a, a great concept. I love it. I'm a big fan. I'm excited to hear this coming back this year. Yeah, thanks, thanks. It's it's fun to try to stop and think about what lines up, because uh, I know we, we, we did uh, Return of the Vampire last year with Bela Lugosi, and I was thinking, okay, they're in England. It involves the war. And what can I do? Vampires. And then it hit me that Captain America two-parter that had barren blood. It just all synced up great. And then there's the, the Batman uh, vampire story that actually kind of had Christopher Lee in it <laughs> because Mike Grill decided to draw the vampire looking exactly like Christopher Lee. We tied that in with the horror of Dracula. So it, it's it's fun to to rack my brain and try to figure out what comic works with what movie. So it's 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 a, it's a labor of love. You only have to refresh my memory. Have you talked about Cap Wolf at all yet? No, we haven't done Cap Wolf. Oh, man, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> we we can do Cap Wolf. That's a good one because we're we're always gonna. Uh, it, we've kind of fallen into doing the Wolfman cycle at Universal because we did the Wolfman. That's mm-hmm. my favorite and my son's favorite Universal monster movie. And character. And so uh, we did The Wolfman the first year. Last year we did Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. So this year one of the movies will definitely be House of Frankenstein. So we're just following Larry Talbot's story, you know, <laughs> um, one one year at a time. But I've got to – so I, I can – you know, that, that movie I can tie in, Dracula, Frankenstein, or The Wolfman, or Mad Scientist. So I, that that's just full of win, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well – Again, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Please keep me posted, and uh, as soon as it kicks off, I'll start running the promos. I'm gonna have to work up a new promo too. I've got, I've got, I've got some ideas. Excellent. Well, something that we do with every new guest to Monster Kid Radio, and I know you've been wanting to do this because every time we talk about scheduling, you're like, make sure we do this. All right, so, so we'll do it. We're gonna play the classic five. Sweet, yeah! <laughs> so, for listeners who, uh, new listeners or anybody who doesn't know, the Classic Five, it's a game that we play with brand new guests to the Monster Kid Radio podcast. I've got a deck of cards here, let me give it a shuffle or two. It's a deck of cards here, about a hundred cards with different questions, yes or no style questions, this movie or that movie. You ready to play the Classic Five, sir? I am ready. Alright, card number one. Favorite classic monster movie sequel? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, uh... Hmm. As much as I love the Wolfman, I would have to go with Bride of Frankenstein because I think it's actually the superior movie to the original. I was just reading a little bit about that this morning, actually, Bride of Frankenstein. It's so good. It's a strange mix of a film that under lesser hands probably wouldn't work because there's humor, there's horror, there's pathos in it. But it somehow works. That's because James Well was just a genius. So it works. Under lesser hands, it might have been a mess, but it's it's a fantastic movie. All right, card number two. What Boris Karloff role should Bela Lugosi have played? Boris Karloff role that Bela Lugosi should play. Oh man, that's a good one. Hmm. I'm trying to. Oh, 
you know, I don't know. <laughs> That's a stumper because as much as I love Lugosi, I'm more of a Karloff guy, really. So let me rack my brain here and think. Not the monster, not the creature, uh, not the mummy. I would say maybe his character in uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. We brought that up earlier. That might be the uh, – uh, what, was the, what was the character's name? I can't think. I've gotten uh, uh, Dr. – Oh, Neiman? His name? I'm going to – Dr. Neiman, yeah, Dr. Neiman, yeah. Uh, maybe him. Man, that I would I would go there because I could I could see him fitting into that role, you know, as well as 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 Karloff. The rest of them, I'm trying to think of all these other performances and I'm just not seeing Lugosi in them. So, we'll go with Dr. Neiman. Okay. All right. Not something I would have considered, but then I don't know what I would have considered either because <laughs> the minute you put Karloff or Lugosi in a role, it becomes their role. It's so iconic, you know, it's hard to to imagine. I wouldn't really want to switch the roles in like the body snatcher, for instance. I'd never take that role away from Karloff. That's my favorite sure. uh, role of his. So, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, even though they're, uh, you know, in, in Black Cat, I wouldn't switch that up either. So we'll stick with Dr. Neiman. <laughs> you know, not that I dislike the way he does it. In fact, I love the way he does it, but I wonder how hearing Bela Lugosi reading how the Grinch stole Christmas would have sounded. <laughs> Just, yeah. just sound, just imagine it being twisted to me, just the way he's, yeah, anyway. <laughs> that thick Hungarian accent, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so this card, card number three, I think I know where you're going to go with this. Werewolf of London or the Wolfman? Oh, jeez, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Wolfman. Oh, yeah. Uh, I really like Werewolf of London, though. I mean, it's I, I like that design. It's, it's uh, subtle, but uh, it's kind of disturbing in a way, almost... Uh, there's a there's enough humanity poking through that it in some ways is a little maybe a little scarier than the Wolfman at times when he's some of the pictures where he's really growly looking and the still pictures more than the actual movie and I, it's it's a little more unsettling because he's not fully transformed it almost seems like you know it's it's this weird I think he's on the cover of the with the little orange books from the oh the Crestwood House books yeah I think so too yep yep. Yeah, he's on the cover of that because we, we've actually got that one. My wife brought home a set of those, not a complete set, but quite a few of them from her library when they were going to discard them. Oh, um, so man. we've got quite a few old, old library copies here at the house, and, and he's on the cover of that. That's kind of a scary picture on the front of a kid's book, you know? But yeah, i got to pick the wolf, man. Now, those books were so important to me. <laughs> when I look at my development as a monster kid, those are really the ones that really started me on my path and I have been slowly trying to rebuild uh, or, or just build a collection of them here. And I only have a handful because they can run a little pricey if you go on eBay, especially the Godzilla one. But uh, man, those books are so special and I wish I had a whole run of them. So that's awesome that you guys ended up saving some from the dumpster. That's great. Yeah. I think we've got the Dracula one, the Wolfman one, which has the werewolf of London on it. Uh, the creature, and Frankenstein meets a Wolfman, I believe, are the mm. the ones we have. So they were saved from the discard pile. Yes, <laughs> excellent, good man, good man. All right. <laughs> Card number four: Willis O'Brien or Ray Harryhausen. I'm gonna have to just because of you know growing up watching the Ray Harryhausen movies on TV. I'm gonna have to go with Ray Harryhausen. Okay. I, I just on a personal level, I mean Willis O'Brien, Ray, Ray Harryhausen probably wouldn't be Ray Harryhausen without Willis O'Brien, but. Um, 
I, I've got to pick him. Just the skeletons, man. The, <laughs> that alone was enough to blow my mind as a kid. So I, I've, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. It's a hard call because you know who do you pick? You know the student or the master? Really? I mean, because Harryhausen worked for O'Brien. It's hard to call. But Harryhausen's films, I think, are more immediately than just grab you. I mean, I love. You know what? There's no way to justify it. Anyway, moving on. Card five. <laughs> right. <laughs> Final card. What classic monster movie icon would you want to see a biopic about? You know, not to sound like a broken record, but uh, I think Lon Chaney Jr. I think he's got a very fascinating and and fairly tragic story, but it's not so tragic that he was unfortunately like Bela Lugosi where he couldn't find work. Lon Chaney Jr. seemed to always be able to find work, you know, and and he actually did decent, not just just, uh, low, super low budget projects, but but decent projects as a character actor. But, uh, you know, he had so much, so much trouble with uh, his father and, and, and living up to his father's name. And then the whole deal that his, his father told him that his mother was dead when she wasn't. And then he had the alcoholism and, uh, and, you know, he apparently attempted suicide shortly after Abner Costello meet Frankenstein. So I think that would be a fascinating picture. And I'm kind of surprised some, nobody's done it yet. Honestly, I feel like, when you think about Lon Chaney, at least towards the end of his career, everybody always talks about the alcoholism. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much more to his story than that. And I think it would be mm-hmm. fascinating to watch, too. So, tell you what, when we're done recording this podcast, why don't you and I sit down, we'll write a script, we'll pitch it to Hollywood, <laughs> okay? <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, we'll make that happen. Sounds great. No, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, well, that was the Classic Five, sir. Thanks for playing. Oh, it's it's great. It was it was fun. I, I'm glad I got to play it. I was really looking forward to it, and uh, I don't think I blew it too bad. So no, no, there are no <laughs> wrong answers, and you know, I feel like we're kind of on the same page here. I, I love my Wolfman, love the Wolfman. So, and to go back to what you were saying about the Werewolf of London versus the Wolfman, I, I agree with you. I think the Werewolf of London monster is scarier than the Wolfman, and that's not to say Cheney did a bad job. I feel like there's maybe more recognizable human traits in the Werewolf of London makeup, and maybe that makes it a little scarier to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that you can kind of see some human? I, I don't know. Maybe I guess I'll have to sit yeah. down and rewatch them back to back again. Darn. <laughs> it kind of takes the scary out when he puts the little jaunty cap on and the scarf, but you know. Well, that's uh, true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. But uh, I think maybe it's kind of the Mister Hyde effect in a way. Maybe you know that's it's just disturbing because he's just human enough that it just kind of is more unsettling than the more canine wolfman, you know, but, but I also don't like it when a werewolf becomes a wolf. Cause that it's like giant dogs in movies. Yay. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Give me the actual, exactly. Exactly. All right. So on to the topic at hand, we're going to talk some Star Trek. A billion stars, a lonely ship streaks along an endless path. It's the mammoth starship enterprise. Follow her trackless journey each week on Star Trek. William Shatner stars as Captain James Kirk, Starship Commander. And Leonard Nimoy stars as Science Officer Spock, half-Earthling, half-Vulcanian. There are hazards that beset the Enterprise and its crew on board ship and on alien planets. Don't miss... Star Trek, in color. Ah! 
I know you're a big fan. I'm a big fan. You've been talking about Star Trek on your show off and on through the years. And Mm -hmm. I'm assuming Classic Trek is where it's at for you. Yeah, I'm more of a Classic Trek guy. I was pretty resistant when Next Generation started. And, you know, the first season didn't help. No no offense, Next Generation fans, but it was a little rough. First couple of years were pretty rough. But, uh, you know, I slowly kind of came around and and, and I like I, I can appreciate all versions of of Star Trek. I even, I even will admit I like aspects of the, the new movies and I actually really like Star Trek Beyond. So I know I might have just like people just turned the, <laughs> said boo to me because, uh, I like the new Trek movies. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm all, I'm all for all versions of Trek and giving it a shot, but it's those, those 79 episodes and those first six movies that are my jam, as they say. <laughs> Sure. No, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I grew up with these on reruns all the time. And my father was a huge Star Trek fan. At least I thought he was. He kind of presented himself as a Star Trek fan. So being the geek that I was growing up, I latched onto that and tried to have this thing to bond with my father about. I kind of outgeeked him quite a bit, though, and I don't think he was nearly as much into Star Trek as I became. Uh, but I didn't care at that point because I had Star Trek. I had Captain Kirk and Spock and all those guys to hang out with. And that, that was awesome. I love, uh, the classic Trek. Even season three for me, you mentioned the first few seasons of Next Generation had some clunkers. I think season three had some clunkers of the original series, but still, mm-hmm. I, I love the whole run. The first six movies, like you said, man, that's my jam. I, I love all Trek. I even like some, ep- I'm not going to go there, but there's one series that I had an issue with on some levels, but, you know what? I still love it all, and I can't wait for what's coming up next. I have not seen Star Trek Beyond yet, though. You think it's worth seeing in the theater? Oh, yeah. I, I think so. I think they managed to capture more of the flavor of the original series in this one, uh, more than the other two. It, okay. it kind of uh, downplayed some things that, that made my old Trek fan self-cringe in the theater each time <laughs> and uh, and brought back some aspects that they'd forgotten that, that to me, say classic Trek, like... I won't spoil it for you, but there's a lot of bones and Spock in this one. Uh, they get a lot of time together and, and the, the Zachary Quinto and, and Carl Urban do a great job of kind of recreating that, you know, lovable animosity that they have. It really put a big smile on my face coming out of the theater. I really enjoyed it. Right on. Yeah. I have been considering it. I've heard that it's a little bit more classic Trek than the previous two had been. So I'm, I'm curious. But we'll see. I'll get back to you. When I see it, I'll let you know. We're talking classic right now, and, I mean, you can't go right. wrong with the classic crew, the classic set. I mean, it's a product of a time, so you've got, you know, the, the skirts, <laughs> you know, and you've got Kirk <laughs> being Kirk. But there's so much more to it than that. And did you grow up watching Trek, or how did you come to it? Well, you know, it's kind of it's funny when you were talking about uh, your dad being a Trek fan. My dad turned me on to Star Trek too. He didn't watch it when it was first run, but when it was in syndication – um, he started watching it and, and he would kept trying to get me to watch it like at a really young age. And, and I don't know, I just kept, you know, I wasn't interested. I don't know if I was just too young or whatever, but at, at, you know, I say young, but I started watching it when I was six, but he started trying to get me to watch it when I was like four or something, you know, but, um, I had a Migos, uh, Spock figure Ooh. and a, a, na- a neighbor gave it to me and I really didn't know who he was. I, I think I kind of knew who he was, but I didn't watch Star Trek enough to really know who he was. And uh, then I had uh, the Mego made a Star Trek phaser battle game. That was this big giant screen. It was like an early proto video game and you'd shoot like Klingon ships and stuff. And uh, my, my dad's friend had given us that. And I think he found it 
this is really strange, but he found it in a dumpster of all things, <laughs> pulled it out, saw that it was intact and said, I think I can fix this. He fixed it and gave it to us because he didn't have any kids. So we had this game and I didn't really have any reference for it, but it was fun. And then so finally my dad talked me into, you know, why don't you watch Star Trek with me? So I did. And I think it was either Operation Annihilate or Arena. I can't remember which one it was, but it, it hooked me. And from then on, I think it was on Channel 19 out of Cincinnati. Every Saturday, they'd show Star Trek like around five o'clock in the afternoon. And we'd sit down and watch it. And my sister would usually watch it with us. She's older than me, but we'd all watch Star Trek. And, and then my dad took me, started taking me to the movies. And like you, I kind of grew past his fandom of Star Trek as I got into it. But even yesterday, I was talking to him. And I was telling him I was going to what we were going to talk about. And he said, were you going to talk about this? And he was mentioning all these different monsters of Star Trek that he remembered. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. <laughs> so he, he still he still remembers. He doesn't like know episode names and mm-hmm. and who wrote it and and the producers and, uh, you know, guest actors and all that stuff. But that's where I got my track from. I remember there was one year that for Christmas I got my father a Star Trek trivia game. And... Yeah, it's around here somewhere because I ended up taking it back because he never did anything with it, and mm-hmm. I loved it. <laughs> uh, it, it was, man, it would have been in the '80s uh, when the game came out, so it was during the height of the Trivial Pursuit craze and all that. And I think I even remember there right. being some instructions how to incorporate it into Trivial Pursuit. It wasn't by the Trivial Pursuit people, and like I said, it's around here somewhere. I should have dug it out for this, and we could have used that too on top of the Classic Five to do some Star Trek trivia. But yeah, no, I, I was. <laughs> Just, I've always been a fan uh, since then, and I remember watching it on, like I said, reruns, um, being fascinated when I found a, uh, a TV station when I was growing up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, playing every episode in order during like a summer. They just played it back to back to back in order, so I was excited to be able to look ahead and see what's coming next week and the week after that and, and start making plans for my VCR to start recording it. So, yeah, I mean, uh-huh. it's just been part of me for a very long time. And I don't talk about it a lot on Monster Kid Radio because it's not you know, your traditional monster stuff. But if you go back and look at, I, I don't know if Famous Monsters ever did it, but if you look at like Castle of Frankenstein magazine, there were a handful of Star Trek covers. And mm-hmm. I think it does have its its place in Monster Kid Dumb. Maybe not as much as some other sci-fi properties like Planet of the Apes, but still, I love it. The stuff makes me happy. And some of the alien and monster designs are just fantastic. And for the most part, they hold up really well, I think. You know, I mean, yeah, there's there's some limitations to the uh, the technology and this and that. But I mean, to I mean, the fact that they did this, these shows on a TV budget every week. I mean, it's especially when you compare it to other shows of the time. It's it's pretty astounding what they pulled off. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And it's it's fun, too, to watch them a little bit. And every once in a while, you'll say, hey, they're on Mayberry Street. You know, that's <laughs> you see some of that, too. <laughs> But you know what? They, they yeah, worked with what they had, you know? And I, I've said this a long time. When you don't have the cash, you got to amp the creativity. And boy, were they creative on Star Trek. Yeah, like you said, Mayberry. I mean, Mayberry, you can see Floyd's Barbershop in City on the Edge of Forever. Mm-hmm. Okay? You know? mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's right there, Floyd's Barbershop. Uh, yeah, they definitely, I mean, just to hear the things that they did. I, there's a great book series. I don't know if you've read it, uh, by Mark Cushman called These Are the Voyages. Okay. Uh, and my friend An- An- Andrew Leyland, who's a fellow podcaster, he turned me on to these. There's three volumes, one for each season. It is an exhaustive series because Cushman got access 
to Roddenberry's office notes. So all the memos, all the documentation, he worked with Roddenberry and Robert H. Justman, who was uh, one of the producers throughout the series. They gave him access to that. He interviews all sorts of, but pretty much if anybody, I mean, well, and because he started the project in the 80s, he caught interviews with people who have since passed away when he published it. They just started coming out like a few years ago. That has become my Star Trek Bible. I, I kind of feel like you can throw most of your other Star Trek history books away. <laughs> wow. Because, uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's really fair and balanced because it's not from one actor's memories or this producer's memories. He's kind of an outside, you know, outside looking in type view that like, for instance, not to get into too much detail, but some people said they had problems with Shatner. Other people said they love Shatner. Well, he's got them both. He's got one page of guest stars who didn't like working with Shatner and a whole page with guest stars who said they loved working with Shatner. So it's very fair. And and uh, I feel like you kind of get a real idea of what they did. They talk about how, well, they, they didn't have the money for this episode because they'd spent so much money on this episode two episodes ago. So now they're going to have to go to buy all these uh, sheepskin jackets and cut the sleeves off to make the vest for a private little war. Uh, and I mean, that's the kind of detail this book gets, these books get into. It's a fantastic series. And if you're a Star Trek fan, I highly recommend it to anybody. If you haven't checked them out, you will get lost in these books and they're huge. I mean, they're like 600 pages or something. It's they're, they're, they're thick, gigantic volumes, but it's, it's great. They are on my wish list. I don't have them yet, but I think I'll bump them up a little bit higher on my wish list. So I'm just, you know, <laughs> Any family members listening, you know, birthdays and Christmas, you know, coming in December, just saying. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> let me let me pick up that hint that I just dropped. Um, <laughs> no, I, I do want to read those. And you've talked about some Star Trek uh, material on your show off and on over the years. That John Byrne series where they took stills of the series and made an original story out of it, comic book Fumetti style. Mm-hmm. That's just amazing yeah. amount of work in that. And I loved that. Mm-hmm. That, that I've been getting all of those. And to me, that's the closest we've come to like new Trek because you get the visual as well as the, uh, uh, you know, it's in the stories. Burns got a pretty good handle on their voices, uh, the characters voices. So they don't really say anything that it's not like the old gold key comics where, you know, sometimes you, who is that character supposed to even be? You know, is that Kirk or is it Scotty talking? I'm not sure. So, I mean, it, it, Star Trek comics have, and I, and I love the Gold Key comics just for their, you know, zaniness and, sure. and out there lack of fidelity to the, to the, to the, uh, license. But, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the burn stuff is, is, is really, really sharp and, and I've really enjoyed it. So he's done, he's done a lot of sequels to, to classic episodes and, uh, it's almost kind of like having another version of the Star Trek animated series, which of course did quite a few sequels to, the classic episodes. So. Sure, which I actually really enjoy as well. I know it's kind of divisive. Some people are like, oh, it's just a little cartoon, but I love it. And I know for a while they're saying it's not continuity, but I make it work in my head. For me, that's canon too. Yeah, I do too. I, I It was kind of weird, and it doesn't do anything to really contradict anything as far as I know. And, and I think some elements that they picked up later, you know, actually – came from the animated series and it's kind of i guess it's kind of like the uh what what's what star wars has now done with the expanded universe there's there's still elements they're picking out of it and using but it you know it didn't it, it didn't happen as as we saw it previously which sure. is kind of a shame but uh 
Uh, and, you know, I think the one thing that kind of holds it back is the limited animation uh, of filmation, that the use of the same images over and over and over and over again, even though I think the designs and stuff were really dead on the act, the designs of the characters were dead on the actors. I thought they did a great job with that. I, we were watching some of them the other night and actually mentioned to Cindy, I said, you know, I, I normally wouldn't advocate this, but I wouldn't mind seeing somebody take the audio from this and do like a new animated version of some of the key episodes or something, you know, basically hmm. reanim- reanimate it, <laughs> reanimate it. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a Lovecraft reference for you. You, you know, you've got the actors, the cat, you've got the original cast. So, you know, use the voices, but just have new animation. But then I think it'd be kind of interesting to see, you know, what they could do with it. But I still love them as is though. Sure. No, that's a fascinating idea. I hadn't really thought about it, but I wonder how that would end up looking. You're right. It had so much of the original cast and, you know, for some of the original cast that wasn't there, I think Jimmy Doohan ended up doing a number of the other voices as well. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. If people haven't checked it out, man, I really recommend people look at it. It had some of the original writers on the show. Uh, to me, that's where mm-hmm. I fell in love with the Andorians because there's that one episode with the Andorian first officer that, that I love my Andorians. That is one of my favorite races of all Star Trek. And that's where I fell in love with them was in that episode. Oh yeah, that's probably the best episode period where Spock has to go back through the Guardian of Forever. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. a great one. Mm-hmm. You got Mark Leonard back as Sarek and everything. Yeah, that's a, that's fantastic. Monsters, Star Trek. Do they intersect? I say yes, they do, and we're going to talk about it here on the show. And you actually reached out to me about this. I can't remember what it was, but it was like you mentioned something about a Star Trek monster in an episode, and I said, hey, you ought to do an episode on Star Trek monsters. And then you're like, hey, you want to do an episode on Star Trek monsters? <laughs> and I said, well, yes, I do. So that's here <laughs> Let's we do are. It, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. And you had mentioned a book that I went out and got my hands on, The Monsters of Star Trek by Daniel Cohen from, let's see. Yes. When did it come out? Uh, late 70s, early 80s, 1980 from Pocket Books. Mm-hmm. I, I read it all last night. It's it's pretty easy to read through. Uh, you know, it's written for a, a young adult grade school type audience. But you know, it's just to have them all there, all the all the so called monsters of Star Trek in one book. And there's a ton of photos in here, and some photos that I was actually surprised to see. Uh, the author calls them Star Trek monsters you have never seen. Uh, there's a a, mm-hmm. a a monster from the Menagerie, a creature from the Menagerie episode that didn't make the cut. And then the front mm-hmm. of one of the giant humanoids from the Galileo 7, which you only saw from the rear and the back. I was like, well, that's kind of cool to have some, a couple of behind the scenes photos in this book. It, there's really no ma- new material per se about the quote unquote monsters of Star Trek in here, but it's, it's fun to have. I'd read it when I first got it when you mentioned it and then I reread it again last night. And it's, it's a fun little read, breezy read. I, I checked that book out. That book was in our, my elementary school library. And back then it had the Gorn on the front. Now I've got a, the painting of the Mugato by Boris Vallejo, no less. Really? Uh, wow. On the cover of my... Yeah, yeah. What, what, who's on your cover? I, I have the Gorn. Oh, you have the Gorn. So you have the original one that I, that I had in my library as a, as a kid. And, uh, I checked that book out like, I think every two weeks once I got into Star Trek. And of course, that was about the time I was like in first grade. So it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I, I read the heck out of that. And, it, you know, because Star Trek was syndicated and because we didn't have, uh, the DVD sets and, or home video, you know, then, uh, and we had home video, but the, the episodes weren't out on home video at that time. You know, I'd see monsters and aliens in there. I'd be like, well, I haven't seen this one yet. You know, I knew the Gorn and 
I knew the some of the other ones, but but uh, yeah, that some of the ones that were from actual episodes I hadn't encountered yet. And then when I'd see them, you know, that episode would come up. I'm like, oh, this is that one, you know. <laughs> so it was kind of a nice little primer of what was to come for me, really. You know, if I just kept watching Channel 19 on uh, Saturday evenings at five o'clock. So yeah, I loved that book, loved it, and I can't remember where I even got this copy of it, but. I got it somewhere along the line, and it's stayed on my bookshelf ever since, even though it's, like you said, for young adults, it's it's just a nice little flip through, a reminder of the different aliens that, I mean, it's really just, it, it covers like all the alien creatures that, that uh, Trek encounters, that the crew of the Enterprise encounters, so, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. It certainly has the same vibe of like those Crestwood House books. I mean, I would put them right there on my bookshelf. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, I don't have a lot of Star Trek books now. I mean, there was a period where I was reading all the novels and all that. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're good and all, too. But, I mean, this is one that I'm proud to have now. And I'm going to keep it for a while because, I mean, it's Monsters of Star Trek. It's like peanut butter and jelly, you know. Two great tastes that go great <laughs> together, right? Right, right. <laughs> all right, so we're going to do a top three episode. We're going to talk about our top three Star Trek monsters. And this is something that Chris and I actually struggled with a little bit. Are they monsters? Are they just another alien race? It's it's kind of hard to say with some of these Star Trek things. And I think ultimately we kind of just did the best we could. I, I don't think we included Klingons, right? Right, no. Yeah, because no. it's, it's, you know, I love my Klingons, but are they monsters? Are they another race? It's, it's just hard to say. But I love my Klingons, especially Kang. Big fan of Kang. Oh, yeah, Michael and Sara. Oh, oh, yeah. That's my boy right Kang. there. Plus he's Mr. Freeze. He's Mr. Freeze <laughs> on the animated series, right? So I'm a Batman guy. So when he starts talking, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, yeah, so, so no Klingons, but there may be some other things that pop up on the list that are other races and maybe even explored later. But, you know, it's my show. We do what we want. Okay. So, we're, right. <laughs> so I was with the top threes. I'm going to start and then we're going to go to Chris and that way we can end on him since he's a guest. We want to give him the, the last raw, but I'll start and I'm going to say my number three. You know, this is hard for me because I was, I was kind of swapping my number two and number three, but I, th- I think I'm settled here. I'm going to go with the Mugato. I, I'm going to go with that guy because you can't beat a man in an ape suit. You, you just can't. I love my guys in yep. ape suits and this is such a cool looking ape suit. I mean, he's got the horn on the head, the white fur. So that's what I'm going to go with. We only saw him in one episode, uh, which was, I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden. Why am I drawing a blank? We just talked about it. A private little war. war. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, we only saw him the one time, but I mean, he sticks out to me. I love him. So that's my number three pick is the Magada. Captain's log, star date 4211.4. I have elected to violate orders and make contact with planet inhabitants here. <laughs> not help your friend and brother kill them instead? No! Hit you? No, I can't. Last you strike me. Harder! Ah! Jim, that means you're condemning this whole planet to a war that may never end. It could go on for year after year, massacre after massacre. All right, Doctor! Pain in my, all in my, He is mine now. 
That's a good one. I, one thing that I always forget about the Bugatto is that he's got the spines on his back, like the bony yeah. protrusions, almost like a dragon. That's a cool little element to him. It's like you don't really see it until he turns around. And and uh, when, when Playmates was putting out those Star Trek action figures in the 90s, I gobbled up all the classic Trek ones they put out and actually got one of the Mugato, which I think if I remember right in the script, he originally was called the Gumatu or something. And the, the actors couldn't say it right. So they finally just changed it to what they were saying. I was going to say there was something <laughs> with the, the, the name of the beast that kept getting wrong. Yeah. That's but no, it's good. <laughs> but you know what? You know, it's a sci-fi show. You got, you got early, an early example of techno babble, I guess. I don't know. Exactly. I mean, they just, you know, they were making it up as they went along, literally. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably get into this guy, but uh, uh, I'm probably going to say his name wrong, but uh, either Janos or Jan- probably Janos. Janos Prohaska designed the suit and wore it, and okay. he designed quite a few monster things for for Trek. Yeah, I mean, he just, you know, he's not on the episode very long, but he comes out, fights Captain Kirk, and then Bones, like, disintegrates him with a phaser, which you don't see very often. No, you so, don't. Uh <laughs> and, it, and Bones did it too, which is even more like, whoa, the doctor disintegrated him. Uh, but of course that sets up the whole series of events in the episode where Kirk has to be healed by the, by his friend Tyrese healer woman who's, you know, out to, for her own gains. And, but it is such a great design. It's kind of a shame that they, that they haven't come back. I wouldn't mind. And that's something I wouldn't mind seeing in like a, the you know the first uh, few minutes of a of a new Trek movie is them running from a herd of Mugatos Ooh, chasing them. Wow, yeah, a whole handful of them coming after them. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they could do it now, you know, with the effects and everything. It'd sure, be pretty sure. Sweet. But I wouldn't want them in CG. I want to see a whole bunch of guys in suits. That's what I. <laughs> I, I know it's expensive, oh, but yeah. that's what I want to see. Oh yeah, I want practical effects. Definitely, oh yeah, definitely. oh yeah. So that's my number three, man. What's your number three? My number three is the Denevan Neural Parasites from Operation Annihilate. Captain's Log, Stardate 3287.2. The course of mass insanity we have tracked across the galaxy seems to have already touched Deneva. You have to tell us what happened to him. Things. Horrible things. Don't let them go any There's no pain. I'm also quite blind. They almost ended up on my list, actually, because they're pretty darn cool. Uh, yeah, they are cool. I mean, yeah, they're they kind of look like pink flying fried eggs. Uh, the you know the FS the the, the FX on that one uh, on not maybe not the top for track, but uh, just because what they did. I mean, because it it gets into body horror, you know, because they they attach to your back and they inject this spiny thing into your into your nervous system that grows around it. And then they can control you. And it's so you've got elements of like alien and uh, the thing, John Carpenter's the thing. And they're also part of they're like brain cells of a of a giant collective mind. So they're a little bit like the Borg that would come later on Next Generation. Oh, yeah. And yeah. 
they can control people, but they're still aware that they're being controlled. And so they're in this excruciating pain. And I mean, they kill Kirk's brother. Spoiler warning. They kill Kirk's brother and his <laughs> sister-in-law and almost kill his nephew and Spock. So, I mean, they definitely take a toll on the crew that some of the other monsters have it. And I think that was one of the first episodes I ever saw as a kid too. And, and for the most part, the, the effects do work pretty well. You don't see the strings of them flying around too much. I mean, on DVD or Blu-ray now, you probably can pick it up more if they haven't completely cleaned them up. I don't, I didn't, I think I noticed the string the other day when I was watching it, but, uh, you know, for the most part, it's, it's, they're pretty well effective and they make that god awful, that sound. It's just, <laughs> sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they are good and creepy. And like you said, it kind of gets into that, that body horror a little bit. I mean, you were mentioning the things like the thing and things like that. I, I could see a little bit of the brain eaters and something like that. Uh, and, and even going mm-hmm. as far as to reference the next generation thing, uh, one of my favorite next generation episodes is conspiracy with, mm-hmm. with the little, you know, brain control type things again. And, and I love those as well. And I see a little bit of that in there too. Good and creepy. And the sound, the sound is what it is. I think that pushes it, puts it over the edge for me is that sound. Right. It, it's, it's a like little silly, weird... but it's still creepy. Yeah. I love it. And, and when they walk, when they walk and when they first see him and they're all just hanging on that, yes. that archway, it's like, oh, God, it just gives you the idea that they're everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's just well done. And, and, uh, <laughs> there is a kind of a, I'm sure you've seen the Star Trek blooper reels that, that they've been circulating much to the chagrin of the actors for 50 years, but there's a scene where the, Right when the the parasite's supposed to fly up and hit Spock in the back, and that's when it you know attaches itself to him. There's a blooper where it, the guy you, smacks Nemo right in the butt with it. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was on purpose too. Oh. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've seen that clip, but I have seen the different bloopers and and the outtakes and. I love watching the ones with Leonard Nimoy because he's so serious as Spock, and then something happens, and he just lights up with a big old smile. It's great. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> you're Spock. You're not supposed to, but man, you look so joyful right there. It's awesome. So yeah, it, it was apparently hard to get him to uh, to break character. Uh, people would consider it a challenge to to get him out of it because he was pretty method as Spock. You know, he he stayed in the character, and he probably had to to kind of maintain that purely logical sheen about himself but yeah but sure. yeah the parasites are are uh they've they, they've always been had a, a special place in my little uh star trek heart so mm-hmm. there you go hey there you go okay well my number two and this is one that kind of skirts the edge a little bit because i i know they've been mentioned elsewhere as an actual race and, and that's fine and they're not even presented as a monster really in the episode it's just another being from another so i'm gonna go with the gorn i mean the gorn for me it's an iconic alien creature, and if I, I don't have any action, Star Trek action figures right now, but if I could have one, it would be of the Gorn, because it just looks so cool, so furiously angry all the time. Uh, just monstrous, and I love it. I love the look of the Gorn so much. And the episode that it's in is just one of the most iconic episodes of Star Trek for me. In fact, for years, whenever I would watch Star Trek... I thought that every episode, the view screen, you could see what was going on with the captain. Because that episode of, uh, was it Arena? 
Mm-hmm. That yeah. episode has that in the film or in the show where the crew's watching the captain down on the planet and all that. It kind of messed with my brain a little bit. Little Derek thought, well, that meant that every time the captain went to a planet, the view screen could follow him around. I mean, this episode oh, yeah. stuck with me for so long and, and still does. So for me, my number two, it's the Gorn. Captain's log, stardate 3045.6. The Enterprise has responded to a call from Zestus 3. On landing, we have discovered that the outpost has been destroyed. How can you explain a massacre like that? You must make certain that the alien vessel never reaches its home base. I intend to. Firing pages, Captain. come back to that one later okay 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 i mean i struggled because he almost became number one for me too but that's what i'm going to go with maybe we should just let yeah we'll, we'll move on because i'm sure we're going to get back to him what's your number two <laughs> my number two is red jack or regic however you want to say it from wolf in the fold Ooh. uh and that's because one it was written by robert block who knows a thing or two about horror yes uh obviously psycho and and uh the Amicus films, The House of Drip Blood and Asylum. And, and, uh, so I, I know that, that Peter Cushing. So, uh, <laughs> that's something we have in common there, our love for Peter Cushing. Um, uh, so, uh, that it's Jack the Ripper. Okay. It's Jack the Ripper in space. So that's got some serious monster cred as far as I'm concerned. Captain's log, stardate 3614.9. Mr. Scott has fallen under suspicion of having brutally murdered an Argelian woman. Dead, Jeff. You. And you. They were to be married. Prefect, I didn't kill anyone. I couldn't. How could any man do such monstrous things? I swear to you, I did not kill your wife or the other ladies. Fear, anger, hatred. Anger feeds the flame. Oh, oh, there is evil here. Monstrous, terrible evil. Hatred of all that lives. Hatred of women. Rejak. Again, you're getting into the idea of, uh, of possession. When they figure out, you know, Scotty's accused of killing these women, and it really looks like he's done it, and... And then you come to find out again, spoiler warnings for spoiling these episodes to death, but, uh, you find out that it's this, uh, creature in the body of this little planet official named Heingist, who is played by actor John Fielder, who is the voice of Piglet in the Winnie the Pooh movies. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you know, I, and we're going to get back to this guy here in a second for me too, but, um, Oh, okay. I, I was watching the episode and I, and I had forgotten that. I think I knew that at one point, but I've forgotten that. And when that starts happening, I'm like, no, wait, he doesn't. Oh, and it just makes it even better because I don't know. There's yeah. something about Piglet being scary. It's just awesome. 
because you're hearing his voice saying, you'll die, I'll kill you, you know, that stuff. That's just like, wow. Uh, but, I mean, just the idea that Jack the Ripper has moved from from person to person and has moved out into space when man went out into space. Kirk even says something, when man went out into space, that thing went out there with him. And, I, I mean, that just sends chills up your spine. Uh, and it's just very well done. It's a very moody, very probably – Star Trek's creepiest episode. There's a seance that's really creepy that ends up with some, a woman with a knife in her back. It almost looks and feels like a hammer movie in, in parts. Um, yeah, it, with the, the color and the, the, the moody sets and everything. And it's always been one of my favorites. I've always been fascinated with uh, stories of Jack the Ripper. And, you know, later on we'll get, uh, Time After Time, which is a movie that has a lot of Trek connections. you got Nicholas Meyer directed it, and you got got uh, Malcolm McDowell and David Warner in it, who go on to be in Star Trek productions later. This is this weird Jack the Ripper Star Trek connection. I think Robert Block had written that as a pulp story for Weird Tales in 1943, and then the Trek guys, uh, producers, uh, came to him. He had written What Are Little Girls Made Of the season before. And he wrote Cat's Paw for season two, which this is in. And they came to him and said, hey, what about that Jack the Ripper story? So he adapted it for Star Trek. I think they even did that on Thriller, the Yours Truly Jack the Ripper. Uh, I haven't seen that episode, but I have seen it mentioned that they adapted that uh, there. So I'd be interested to see what their version of this story is like. Obviously, it doesn't involve probably the future or outer space, but the idea of the Jack the Ripper being this demonic entity that that moves you know from person to person it's just great fodder for a for a horror story so this has always been a favorite of mine it's a one of my trek guilty pleasures i i just really love it i've been purposely keeping my mouth shut because i'm going to get back to it in a second um <laughs> but that's my okay. number that's my number 2 <laughs> the gorn's on my number 2 yours is number uh, yeah anyway um so before right. we get into our number ones do we have any honorable mentions we want to talk about? I mean, I, I would probably mention uh, your number three is one of my honorable mentions. Those uh, Denevian things are just good and creepy. One of my honorable mentions would be the salt vampire or oh, the yeah. M113 creature. Good good and creepy, and it's a great design, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a great episode. It, it's a really good episode. Well, I mean, they're all. Yeah, it was the first episode aired, too. So This is true, kinda, yeah. Gives her, it, a leg up <laughs> mm-hmm. on some of the others, mm-hmm. you know. It's got a real just nasty design that's just, I mean, it's horrifying looking. And it's kind of odd, though, because that's very early in the series. And it's supposed to be the last of its kind. And even Spock just wants to kill it, which later on, of course, he wouldn't. Uh, but they're figuring out the characters, you know, as they go. And and uh, later on, you see uh, the suit hanging in uh, Trelane's uh quarters in the squire of Gothos. So apparently at some point he captured a living one. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, it makes sense, you know. Sure, sure. (laughs) It's it's collection of rarities. So yeah, that was definitely a runner up for me. Um, Another one would be uh, the vampire cloud from Obsession. Yes. Uh, That's the one where Captain Kirk, you know, decimated Captain Kirk's original captain when he served, uh, I think it was a fair God or something. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and the the captain's son ends up being on the Enterprise in this story, of uh, conveniently. Uh, but uh, it's all about, you know, 
Kirk's kind of going Ahab after this thing, and, and Spock and Bones are a little concerned that he's he's become obsessed, hence the title. But he really needs to get rid of this thing because it lives on red blood cells, and it's a vampire. <laughs> I mean, it's actually a a blood sucking vampire. Uh, so that to me, that gives it a little extra monster cred. It loses some because it's just a cloud, and you don't get a cool monster visual, but. It's I've always really liked that episode. So No, it's a good one, too. You know, people who know me know that I tend to go for some of the more oddball stuff. I, I don't know what it is about me or what it says about me, but my favorite comic book characters are typically the characters who have never had their own title. My favorite movies are the ones that not everybody's seen. You know, well, just that's just who I am. And for that reason, for whatever reason, I'm drawn to a lot of third season Star Trek. And I know third season has mm. a lot of hits and misses, and there's a lot of clunkers. But there's still something about some of those third season episodes that I love. And one of my favorite episodes of all time, and I'll, I love Spectre of the Gun. That's one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek ever. And the Melcots or the Melkoshians, uh, th- those telepathic aliens in there, just the look of them is enough to put them on my honorable mention list. They basically look like this melty little brain thing with things hanging. They're just creepy, creepy yeah. looking. And I love the episode. And the Malkotians, to me, are just an underused alien race or monster, I guess, that that could have been used later on down the line in some of the other episodes of Star Trek at some point. I would have loved to have seen what they would have done uh, against, like, the Next Generation crew or who knows what else or a group of Klingons, whatever. I just I love the look of those guys. That's a really cool design. It's like a, a brain and a brain stem just kind of, yeah. like, floating out in this fog. It's... It's really eerie. I, that's a, that's a good that's a good choice. That that's one of my favorite episodes as well. Period. I'm a sucker for the for westerns and and the uh, Tombstone story, the gunfight, at the OK Corral. Anyway, so when you put Star Trek and that together, yeah, that that end scene where uh, the Earps fire at them and the the fence behind them just is riddled with bullets, but they're just standing there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great shot. I mean, I'm getting, and this isn't me using the term in the way the internet uses it. I'm literally getting goosebumps thinking about it right now because it's just a wonderful <laughs> shot. It's a wonderful sequence. It's mm-hmm. so good. Yeah, it's so good. So that's on my honorable mention list. And I'm even going to go to another third season episode for one. I like the Excalibans, and you see them briefly in the Savage Curtain, which is the Star mm-hmm. Trek episode starring Abraham Lincoln. Uh, <laughs> which again is a ridiculous episode, but I don't care. I love it so much and it makes me happy. And you know, it's another guy in his creepy monster looking suit that looked like it could have come from the set of Ultraman. Yeah. Giant rock monster with glowing eyes all over his face. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's a great design. Yeah. Yep. Um, I really like that one too. I think that's uh, Janos Prohaska again in that oh, suit. Really? So yeah, I think so. I think he made it too. That was almost on my honorable mention list. Um, I started to put it there and I don't, I'm glad you included it because it somehow fell off somewhere. Um, yeah, I love that episode too. It's Space Lincoln, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, and, and you get to learn a little bit more about the Klingons because you got Kalos in there and you've got Sir, you know, it's just, there's so much in there to enjoy. Colonel Green is strangely wearing Robin Williams' Mork outfit 10 years before he did. <laughs> <laughs> When I was a kid, the first thing I saw was like, that looks exactly like my Mork action figure. What's up with that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Do you you have any other uh, honorable mentions? I have one more that I'd like to mention, unless you have any others. I've got one more. The only reason it didn't make the monster list is because the end of the episode, but the Horda. 
from The Devil in the Dark. Oh, that's a good one, too, though. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of Star Trek's best, most poignant stories of tolerance and, you know, not judging a book by its cover and, and learning to, to get along. I mean, obviously the, the, it killed a lot of miners, but they'd also kill a lot of its babies unknowingly because those were its eggs that they were, you know, destroying. It, it's a great design. That's Janos Prohaska again. This is becoming the Janos Prohaska, uh, podcast. He came up with the design for this creature and showed, uh, he had a deal, I guess, with the, the producers that, hey, if you come up with a cool monster design, let us see it and we'll see if we can build a show around it. Well, that's how this came about. They built the show around the design of the monster, according to Mark Cushman's book. And, you know, he was in the suit, you know, crawling around on all fours. Uh, I always kind of, it's a neat design. I always, as a kid, I thought it looks like a, a living meatloaf. Uh, <laughs> but I still love it. You know, it's just so weird and alien in the fact that they blast it with the phaser and it, it's got this weird wound that looks like an inflated plastic bag and then bones patches it up with concrete. You know, it's very, very alien. It's about as alien as, as Star Trek got really, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's such a great story too. It's just, a, it's a great episode and, and it, the design works and I kind of wish they'd, done something more with them later, like you said, with some of the others that they'd revisited or we'd seen a Horda. And maybe we did, and I'm just not remembering it. Somebody will probably write in and tell us if I did that we see a Horda in the background at some Federation meeting or something. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how the Horda would work in the Federation, but yeah, somewhere, somewhere. Right. Well, I have one more honorable mention myself, and you already briefly mentioned it. The only Star Trek episode, I believe, and there might have been one more, actually, so one of the few, if only, episodes of Star Trek to actually be released specifically around Halloween, because it's got some creepy stuff, Halloween stuff happening in it. The episode is Cat's Paw, and the monsters, the, the people who are running the show, the, these little creatures that you see at the very, very end, as scary as the episode's supposed to be, with, like, the ghouls and the goblins and the giant black cat and the witches and, oh, it's all spooky, spooky... Once you see what's actually pulling the strings here, these little ugly things that look like they shouldn't have that kind of control and power, but they do, that to me terrified me more than anything in the episode. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and they just struck a chord with me. And I believe, don't they die at the end of the episode? I'd have to go back and watch Cat's Paw, but I think they just, yeah. they, they pair, they, they just die. They, they, they can't last in our universe. And again, this is Robert Block episode. Uh, he was involved in the mm-hmm. story of this. And I believe there's even talk of, like, the old ones in this episode, which, you know, strikes the Lovecraft nerve in me a little bit. So just something about it speaks to me. Not enough to put me in my top three, but I, I wanted to mention it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's a fun episode, too. And and there's so much back and forth between the, the two characters. It's, it's not quite what you think, because you think uh, – I can't think of the male character's name off the top of my head, but you think he's kind of the one in control and it ends up, he actually ends up trying to help Kirk and crew and, and Sylvia's the female. I remember her name. She ends up being the big bad of the episode too. And of course, Kirk tries to mack on her because he's Kirk. Uh, Block mentioned the old ones in, uh, what are little girls made of too? Uh, mm-hmm. Ted Cassidy's Ruck mentioned them. Oh, I totally uh, forgot is, about Ruck. We, he would be on my list too. Ruck is so cool. Yeah. That's a great design. I mean, they took Ted Casty and made him look even bigger somehow. Yeah, how do you do that? Oh, Ruck <laughs> is great. No, he. It's, you know what? My show. He's on my honorable list now. I'm putting him right there. Honorable mention. There you list. go. Yep, he'd be. He was right on mine too. But I'm like, well, he's kind of he's kind of an android, and but well, who cares? You know? Ah, so he's that's, played that's, by Lurch. Uh, he counts. Right. 
Well, and, and Ted Cassidy provided the voice of the Gorn, too. When we hear the Gorn, it's it's Ted Cassidy. So Nice. Uh, he got around. Plus, what are little girls made of has Sherry Jackson. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sorry. My wife's going to come out of here and hit me probably in a minute because <laughs> that's what happens on Supermates. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> see, see I, I make sure to only mention my Julie Adams thing when Brenda's not in the room. So I'm just, no. Just. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just saying. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So my number one, you've already mentioned it. I love Wolf in the Fold. I'm a big fan of that episode. And Red Jack is just such a creepy idea to me. And you mentioned a lot of what's exciting about this creature, this monster, this alien. To me, though, the scariest thing this monster does is during the little trial scene, after they kill Mr. Hingis, and then the thing pops into the uh, the prefix body for a little bit, for just a second. But then it goes mm-hmm. back into the dead body again. And that, to me, I mean, that's terrifying. I, I can imagine watching that for the first time. I, I, I wish I had memory of watching it for the first time, but I don't. I mean, I would imagine if I watch it for the first time, or people watching that when it first came out, just this dead body then picks back up and starts doing things again. I mean, that's just creepy to me. I mean, yeah, the laughing and the computer system and taking over the ship, that's terrifying too, but just reanimating the Lovecraft, reanimating that body again. That to me is probably the scariest moment of the whole episode. That's a good point. It's, it's almost like evil dead. Like, you know, cause I mean, the evil dead movies, these bodies like die and, and then the next thing you know, that jumps back in them. And they're all, of course they're all disgusting looking in the evil dead movies when they come back up. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of a presage to that. And, and then they beam his body out into space at, at maximum dispersal, which I was like, Ooh, man, that's, yeah. ooh, that's that, that the idea of that just being beamed into nothingness that you know, you didn't get that much on Star Trek. So, well, uh, and Kirk, like, you know, carrying his body down the hallway over his shoulder with him saying, kill you all. You know? Yeah. And yeah. everybody around him is just kind of smiling and laughing because they've all been juiced up on tranquilizers. Just, it's right, such right. a, man, um, that episode, I actually just watched it again last night just to kind of prep for this because it is one of my favorites. And just everything about it to me hits on all the right notes. You've, and it, and it does a few things that some of the previous episodes don't. I mean, Scotty's about to get the girl, which you don't normally see. Normally it's always Kirk, right? So Scotty's about to get the girl before everything starts to go bad. And it's, there's not a heck of a lot of Kirk and Spock interaction on the planet. And it's more a Kirk McCoy story for a big chunk of the story, which I really appreciate as well. And there's just so much about this show to enjoy. And that's my number one, man. The Red Jack Monster is the number one. And my understanding is that it turns up in other like comics or novels, which I'm not overly familiar with. Have you read or seen anything with it? I know it showed up in the the DC Star Trek comic, the original okay. run from the mid-80s. Uh, because I was like flipping through. The, uh, they did a who's who in Star Trek which actually my buddies on the Fire and Water Network will be getting to shortly in their Who's Who series where they cover all the DC Who's Who comics. Uh, but nice. they, th- there's an entry on Red Jack, and uh, they show some scenes from uh, uh, characters in uh, the Star Trek movie uniforms, the Wrath of Khan uniforms in it. So I'm a, I, if I remember right, that that was a plot line going on that uh, Red Jack somehow returned and uh, possessed the body of, of one of the uh, – newer characters that they created just for the comic book. Might be something worth checking out or tracking down. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, though. Good stuff. So I, I think I know what your number one is. 
My number one would be the Gorn, yeah. uh, which we've, of course, already talked about. Yeah, I mean, for much the same thing, it's just a, it's a great design. Um, you know, the, the battle with Captain Kirk is iconic. I mean, it, it shows up in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, you know? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because, oh, wow. That's the episode they're <laughs> watching, and then they end up at, was that Bronson Canyon? Is that where that was? Uh, no, let's see. Uh, no, Bronson Cave is, is where the Batmobile was drives into. But no, it's that one iconic yeah. bit of, of rock structure. I can't remember the name of it right. either, but I'm sure there's a listeners out there. It's this one. It's this one. So listeners, let me know. I can't remember what it is, but it's a very iconic yeah, piece right. of it, geography. It's, it's where the Lone Ranger rode his horse around every episode. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they, Bill and Ted actually film it in the exact same location uh, later on after, after they watch that episode. But yeah, the, the, now that, uh, monster was designed by a guy named Wah Chang, who actually designed the phaser, communicator, and tricorder for Star Trek. So oh, okay. we got a lot to thank that guy for. Uh, <laughs> there were three different people in the suit, but, uh, the stunt man in the suit for the most part was a guy named Bobby Clark. And, uh, one of the other guys in it was, uh, Bill Blackburn, who was a long suffering lighting stand in and extra on the set. He was often seen at the navigator post before checkoff came along. Um, but he was in the suit some. It's a great design. I mean, you got Ted Cassidy's voice when he talks. And, you know, he is intelligent, but he's just, I mean, it's a humanoid dinosaur. Yeah. So, I mean, how can you go wrong? You know, it's, you know like Kirk says, it you automatically are repelled and, and fearful of lizards. And here's a gigantic one, muscled one that, you know, you throw a boulder at him and it just bounces off and, but Kirk has to, you know, he, he tries some of his Kirk foo on him, and it it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> you Kirk know, the foo, chop huh? of the neck, yeah, the double fisted blow to the solar plexus. You know, the 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 flying drop kick. I, I don't know if he used a flying drop kick, but uh, uh, there's actually a cute little story in, in Shatner's Star Trek Memories book where he talks about. He he got into an altercation with a a guy at a carnival while Star Trek was on that was. He did something that upset his little girls and Shatner, you know, said something back to him. And he said he actually contemplated doing the the flying, you know, double kick thing. And then he realized, <laughs> wait a minute, I'll land on my back and then this guy can just stomp the living crud out of me. So he didn't do it. But <laughs> probably for <laughs> but the yeah, better. Kirk Fu, probably for the better. Yeah. Uh, but the Gorn, they decimate a whole Federation outpost. And that I had forgotten. Because you always get so wrapped up in the Kirk Gorn fight. The opening part of that episode, Arena, has this great battle scene with all these explosions going off. And, you know, Kirk gets this phaser mortar out. It's something you usually don't, I don't think we ever saw again. But it's really well done. And apparently Shatner actually suffered hearing damage from one of the explosions going off near him. And that's where he got that, I don't know if you've ever heard him talk about it. He has tinnitus, that ringing in his ear. Huh. Uh, but it came from this episode, but we're getting off the Gorn. I'm sorry, but the no, no, <laughs> but that's the Gorn fine. It's just, it's it's just such a great design, and you know, and it, and at the end, you find out that the the Gorn believed that the Federation was invading their space, mm-hmm. and that's why they attacked. And so Kirk, you know, after he blasts him with his makeshift homemade cannon, he spares him. And I think, like the Horda, that's that's like. I think one reason why this one stands out so much is because it, it has the action. It has the great antagonist, but it also has that message of understanding and, and tolerance that, that Star Trek 
preached, but without being usually overly preachy. It, it gave you a satisfying action story, but also, you know, you got to be a little understanding. You got to, you can't judge a book by its cover. Yes, he's scary looking, but he had his motivations for doing what he did. And, you know, I, I think that's just uh, one reason why that episode stands out beyond just a really cool monster visual. Mm. Yeah. You know? So that's my number one. And I, and I know that Gorn does turn up in a few other novels and role-playing games and things like that. And uh, I believe it turned up in an episode of, towards the end of Enterprise, didn't it, in one of the Mirror Mary episodes? I think so, yeah, yeah. if I remember right. So yeah, well, we have seen really, yeah. yeah, there's a really cute commercial from a few years back for the Star Trek video game that came out when Into Darkness came out. So it's got Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto in the game. Uh-huh. I don't know if you saw it, but the, the commercial has Shatner – Yep. on the couch pl- playing the video game with the Gorn, and then they get into a, the their physical fight again, and Shatner's all winded, and he can't <laughs> – he's <laughs> he's wanting to take a break because he just can't do it. Yep. No, it's a great commercial. So, yeah. And it's it was, the classic the, Gorn, son, too. So. Yes, it's the classic Gorn. Yeah, they did a good job of recreating the suit. It, it looked really good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it's just uh, – I mean, I think when you think iconic, the iconic look of a Star Trek alien or monster that it's kind of the first thing that pops in a lot of people's minds. So, and there's a reason why it was on the cover of the book, the monsters of Star Trek, or at least to begin with. So I mean, there's a reason right. why it's there. Right. It's, it's just a classic looking design. I could talk Star Trek for hours, man. It's, it's <laughs> Let's do it. All right. All right. I ain't got nothing else to do today. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a <laughs> <laughs> we will have you back on the show, though. It's been too long. We, you know, I like having some of my fellow podcaster friends on the show, and you, you're one of the people that I've been wanting to have on the show for a while. So I'm glad we made this happen, man. You know, of course, I'm going to be listening to your show moving forward. And again, it is called Supermates. And where can people find it? It is at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, of course. There's a lot of great shows on Fire and Water Network. Um, like I said, there's a Who's Who show. Uh, there's a show on the DC miniseries Invasion. There's a Star Wars show called Give Me Those Star Wars for Star Wars fans. Give me those stuff, really? That's yeah, awesome. Star Wars, <laughs> give me those Star Wars. That's my friend Ryan Daly hosts that. There's a really unique show on our network that uh, that's about the romance comics uh, called the Lonely Hearts Podcast. And it's four guys like looking at romance comics uh, from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So that's bit and there's actually a, a romance comics theater where a comic a romance comic story is uh reenacted in every episode too and that's always fun so there's a lot a lot of fun to be had there if you're into comics and there's a there's a great movie show called the film of water podcast we even have a bob dylan podcast called pod dylan on the network lots of stuff to choose from there but uh, Supermates is there in power records and that's that's where you'll find me and my wife, Cindy, and uh, Power Records, uh, uh, Rob Kelly, who's one of the founders of the network. So so check us out, and uh, and I think you'll find, you know, you'll fall down the rabbit hole, like, you know, just like when I found Monster Kid Radio, and, and I found 1951 Down Place, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I fell down the rabbit hole, and, you know, listened with, you know, to every episode backlog, and everyone as it come through, and it's just good stuff, good, good it's a great way to I listen to my podcasts at, at work because I'm a graphic designer, so I can put my earbuds in and and uh, design away and and catch up on the latest episodes. So it's a lot of fun. I have to admit to not being overly familiar with too much of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I knew about the Power Records, um, and you know, I knew that you were part of it now. But I'm looking here, the Power of Fishnets Podcast. 
I love me some Zatanna. So that hmm. I have to check. That's that out. Ryan Daly too. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great show. He does black. He alternates between Black Canary and Zatanna on that show. So yeah, he he covers uh, the new stuff that's coming out and the old stuff. He just he just did Zatanna's quest, the whole storyline where she's looking for a father that introduced her. So he has a good time with that. He has guests occasionally, but it's mostly Ryan. He does a great job. The Secret Origins podcast is uh another one he does with guests where they cover the 80 secret origin series and so he pretty much covered the entire dc universe and between that and the who's who series so well we'll definitely make sure there's links to the fire and water podcast network in the show notes as well as to uh the entry for supermates and i am excited for the house franklin sign again and that's going to be a lot of fun i'm looking forward to it it's my favorite time of year and to have some of my favorite podcasts kind of celebrating that with me, it's just a blast. So I'm excited for what you've got coming up. I've got some uh, ideas of what we're going to cover. I've pretty much got an idea. I've run them past Cindy, and she's she's on board. There's one or two. There's like a spot there that I'm really trying to decide. And, you know, because we're going to do cover four different movies, and then i got to find the comics that, that match them. But, yeah, I'm I'm excited. It's It's always fun. I could... I could do it all year long, but you guys have monster movies covered pretty well, so I'll, I'll leave it to the experts and oh, we just well. have fun with it too much a year. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Hey, you, uh, you've got the Rondo, man. That's, oh, oh <laughs> here we go. <laughs> man, I was going to say something, but you I totally <laughs> – you mentioned the Rondo and everything just goes fuzzy. <laughs> oh, yes. So back to Star Trek. Uh, depending on when this episode goes out, it may either be right before or right after you guys have done your own Star Trek episode. I'm glad you reminded me because I was plugging House of Frankenstein and forgetting to plug uh, the Star Trek episode. Yes, we're going to do a Star Trek 50th anniversary episode at the end of August that will feature our favorite Star Trek moments, mine and Cindy's. And we've got some of our podcasting friends also dropping by and, and giving some of their favorite moments. So it's it's not necessarily like the best episode of Star Trek uh, that we're worried about, but more those moments that jump out at you, uh, you know, little character bits. Uh, uh, we've mentioned some of them here that, that will be in that episode. That's kind of what I kind of where I wanted to hit it, because the kind of like what we did here, our favorite monsters versus like the best because that's so subjective you know but you can't take away the fact that it's your favorite right if it's your favorite it's your favorite so right so yeah that'll be coming up uh at the end of august and i'm working on that right now and i think that's going to be a lot of fun we've we've like you said we've covered star trek several times before but we definitely wanted to get an episode in for the 50th anniversary it's coming up in september but we're going to be in the House of Frankenstein then. So, you know, whenever that comes out, I'll either release this episode right before or right after, so we have a little bit of synergy and things like that, or whatever. Sweet. There we go. <laughs> Excellent, Chris. This was a lot of fun, man. And uh, why don't we come up with something else to have you back on the show for down the line? Sure, I'm I'm gay, man. Anything. Right and this was a blast. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate it. Well, like I told Chris, there are links in the show notes to the Fire and Water Podcast Network, the Supermates Podcast, and episode 59 of the Supermates Podcast. That is their 50th anniversary celebration episode. He is joined by so many other podcasters, including Rob Kelly. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know who Rob Kelly is, he's an artist, a graphic design guy. And you know what? Just do a Google search for Rob Kelly Monster P. 
PSA. A couple years ago, he did a whole series of public service announcement posters using some of our favorite monsters. For example, there's a poster featuring the Invisible Man, and the text reads, Claude Rains believes there are some things that science just shouldn't do. It's really hard to describe a visual medium on an audio podcast, so go check it out. Look it up after you're done listening to this episode of the show. Of course, after you're done checking out episode 59 of the Supermates podcast, and I meant it, we are going to have Chris on the show again down the line. We just got to find something to talk about, and I don't think that's going to be very hard to do. It's a new height in fright. What have animals to do with this? The man's jugular vein was bitten, clean through. Never before such diabolic evil as the skull. I found in the morning that the skull had been removed. Who removed it? those who use its power. Invisible beings, spirits from a strange, evil world. The moving skull spreads its freaking terror ah! everywhere. Casting its hypnotic trance over all who fall under its hideous shadow. killer at its evil command. Never before such blood-curdling horror as the skull. evil erupts from the grounds of Supermate's estates. The house of Frankenstein has risen from the grave. Step this way to gaze upon an exhibit absolutely unparalleled in the realms of showmanship. I have a collection of the world's most astounding horrors. Spine-chilling discussion of classic horror films featuring an all-star cast. Boris Karloff. If I had Frankenstein's records to guide me, I could give you a perfect body. Lon Chaney. Last night I suffered the tortures of the damned. I killed a man. John Carradine. I will come for you before the dawn. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. There is nothing, do you hear me? Nothing more important to me than the success of this experiment. Oliver Reed. I can't, I tell you. I can't remember anything. Lawrence Olivier. You are a most uh, unusual creature, Count Dracula. 
and Frank Langella. You do not know how many men have come against me. I am the king of my kind. Plus, your favorite superheroes grapple with the world's greatest monsters. You'll never succeed with your crazy plan, Dr. Frankenstein. That's just what Batman said, Superman. And look where you are now. <laughs> A Supermates presentation coming in September and October to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The House of Frankenstein has risen from the grave. a little behind here at Monster Kid Radio HQ. Kind of redid the recording area. I don't think it's going to sound any different, but we did get a new desk and got some furniture out of the way, so slightly different recording setup, which means this episode didn't really get it edited as early as I would have liked. So hopefully this will still be going out into the feed on Thursday morning for you guys and gals to check out. Now, those of you who follow Monster Kid Radio or me personally on Facebook know that I mentioned on there that I feel like we've kind of gotten a little away from the core of Monster Kid Radio. And I'm not complaining. I've been loving the Planet of the Apes coverage. And we're still going to be getting to that. And I love talking about monster movies from the 70s. We have one coming up next week, in fact. That said, I want to make sure that we're still always representing the 30s and the 40s. And through Facebook, I've been reaching out to a handful of people. Fingers are crossed that somebody who mentioned a Val Luton film to me says, yes, he's on board. I invited him to be on the show. I'm not going to say his name, but his initials are J, B, and yeah, he knows how to podcast. So hopefully he'll be joining me. No pressure, brother. Uh, also, I've been talking to Michael Ludgy. He's going to be coming on here soon. And I've reached out to Scott Roche about being on the show as well. So, uh, and I suspect he's going to say yes. And, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have mentioned his name as well. No pressure, Scott, if you're listening. Anyway, we've got some movies from the 30s and the 40s coming up. But we also have a movie from the 70s coming up next week when Tony Wendell joins me here back at Monster Kid Radio to talk about the giant spider invasion. It's from 1975. It's been directed by Bill Rabane. And, you know, originally I was going to do nothing but 1970s monster movies in the month of December. I was going to call it Seven December. Well, you know, every time I try to do a theme month here on Monster Kid Radio, things just kind of don't quite work out the way I want them to. They start strong, but uh, yeah. So, you know what? Let's just do the giant spider invasion next week with Tony. In a small Wisconsin town, something was about to happen that would send shockwaves around the world. another world to destroy the earth. It was the giant spider invasion. Look at that. I'm still measuring an x-ray shower from the ground level. 
at a magnitude never before measured on Earth except a nuclear explosion. Well, Doctor, it could be an abortive strike from a unfriendly power. Oh, come on. You don't think a missile landed here? I told you something landed here last night. Look, it's full of them. I'm very concerned. Well, frankly speaking, Doctor, so is the United States government. Thousands killing and crippling, creeping, crawling creatures determined to destroy the earth. Could anything stop them? Could anything stop the giant spider invasion? There has never been a film like this before. That was the trailer for the movie, but if you head over to monsterkidradio.net and check out our website, you'll see that I've embedded the YouTube trailer for that film as well. Also on our website, you're going to find links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group. I'm always looking for feedback here on the show, and Facebook is one of those ways. In fact, when I mentioned that we're going to be doing Star Trek on Facebook, Jeff Poyer posted what his top three monsters from the original series were. I'm going to read them now. I'm assuming this is in reverse order. His number three was Nomad from The Changeling. His number two was the giant space amoeba from the immunity syndrome. And wow, yeah, I don't know how that slipped, both mine and Chris's uh, mind there. That's a great one. And his number one is the doomsday machine from, well, the doomsday machine. The doomsday machine is pretty cool. It's a great episode, first of all. And if you read some of the novels, you can see how it was kind of tied into some Borg mythology with some of the next generation stuff. Which probably just outed me as being a bigger nerd than you guys and gals probably thought. Yeah, I doubt, actually. I think you... Assumed I was a pretty big nerd. You know what? It doesn't matter. This is a safe place. Jeff, thanks for your feedback on Facebook. You know, if you guys and gals want to mention what your favorite Star Trek monsters are, post away on Facebook or email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or drop us a line. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. 
That's 503-4795-MKR. Again, all of this is over in the show notes at monsterkidradio.net. You're going to find links to every bit of music that's appeared here on the show, a place to subscribe to the Monster Kid Radio Gazette e-newsletter, and a place to become a patron of Monster Kid Radio by clicking on the Patreon button. You can check out our Monster Kid Radio Patreon campaign and learn how you can support the show that way. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Again, big thanks to Chris. Big thanks to all of you for being part of the show, for sharing the posts on Facebook, for retweeting the tweets, and for giving us reviews in the iTunes store and for liking our Facebook page. That means so much, having your support on social media and in the iTunes store. Thank you from the bottom of my Monster Kid heart. Until next week. Remember that all original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song The Belgian Wave. That is the new song from the band RPS Surfers. You can find the RPS Surfers on Facebook by just searching for RPS Surfers, or you can find them on Bandcamp where you can buy their previous album, Danger Beach, for $6.50. However you look them up. Let them know that you heard about him here on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.